Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Cooley Callahan, and I didn't even ask how you pronounced your name before that, so I hope that I got it right. <laughs> you nailed um, it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so happy. And you are the environment artist behind the upcoming title known as Moss Book 2. Thank you for joining. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Joshua. I am so glad to have you on because Moss is such a lovely experience. I wish that I had more... Uh, I wish I had a VR set because Moss has always been mm-hmm. one of the games that I've wanted to play and I've seen. And it looks so nice. So uh, just oh, thank you. The, of course, of course. The environment is great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, the environments are pretty great. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the, um, I didn't work on Moss 1, so I can say that. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. There you go, there you go. Well, that answers yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my initial questions. So mm-hmm. before we dive into the game, one of the things that I love doing is always just getting to know the people behind the games because, mm-hmm. you know, games are magic sometimes, but there's actually people behind there working on it. So, totally. uh, Cooley, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? How'd you get into game creation in the first place? Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, I grew up, definitely interested in video games. Uh, you know, my parents had a Super Nintendo and, or just actually a, a NES. Um, and I don't remember it, but my, my grandparents and parents would tell me I would just sit there and watch them play for hours. And, um, and so I was mesmerized at an early age. And then wow. as I got older, um, I was over at some friends of the family's house for dinner and they had a couple of sons who were about my age and they're like, Hey, we're going to go play this new computer game we have. Um, you want to come watch? And it just so happened to be command and conquer. And <laughs> I was like hooked. I just, it blew my mind and I just couldn't get enough of it. I didn't even want to play. I just wanted to watch them. Mm, um, the early days like, of Twitch. <laughs> yes, totally. I was like the first, uh, Twitch chat, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was it just, captivated me. And then, um, you know, then I went through school and kind of thought about what I wanted to do. And I thought that I wanted to be an architect. And so I went to school for that. But um, when I graduated, I wasn't so sure I actually wanted to go into architecture. And I met someone who went through the same program as I did. And he worked at Bungie. And Hmm. When I found that out, I was like, you know, my mind was blown again. I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to meet this guy. Like, this is like unbelievable. Um, And the way that I found out that he worked at Bungie was um, one of my professors was, um, I expressed to him that I was interested in doing something that was not architecture. And he's like, oh, you know, we've got a student who did that. Um, He works in video games now, I think. And he just sent me some of his work. 
you want to see it? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. And so he pulls it up and it's um, Epitaph, which is a Halo 3 map that yeah. I loved playing on. And I was like, oh, what? And so totally freaked out. And then I you know, had the chance to meet him and grew that network connection. It took it took a couple of years. I had to, um, you know, teach myself 3D. Um, I learned a little bit about 3D in college, but nothing more than like an introductory Maya class, right? Um, and which I didn't even do the assignments. I ended up just like <laughs> making whatever I wanted to make. And I think I got a C in that class because the professor was like, like, good job, I guess, but you didn't do any of the assignments. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, after that, I, I met a bunch of people at Polyarch and um, who were, um, you know, uh, friends from Bungie, but and then they left to start Polyarch. And then um, back in August of 2019, I I started here and now I'm helping with Moss Book 2. That brings That's... us right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So did you have any relation at the point of like working on Moss Book 1 or you joined afterwards? Completely all the way after. Um, I didn't work on any of the Moss content. I uh, didn't work on any Twilight Garden. I, I haven't shipped any Moss content yet. Right, right. Okay, okay. That makes sense. So because uh, originally I was going to ask kind of the the origin stories of the company but it makes more mm -hmm. sense now with with your uh you know joining the team what was it about this this team that interests you right why mm -hmm. why was it was it more of just the connection of you know being able to get in was there something about like oh i, mm -hmm. I really want to be into this vr world like what drew your attention to this mm -hmm. i think the first thing that happened was i realized i wanted to leave bungie and um, grow my abilities as a game developer mm -hmm. um, i wanted to branch out more into um, being a designer and shipping design content and owning design experiences um, and so after i kind of had come to that conclusion i started to think okay well where what am i going to do like i don't i don't i can't just go be indie right now i i, I want to go well maybe i could but i wasn't interested in that i knew that i wanted the kind of intermediate step where if i was going to go full indie i think i would you know i was like yeah i probably should ship something with a smaller team first like take on like the next bite i don't want it to be too big you know right right yeah you know jumping to like I'm with this bigger studio to then say, I'm just going to be on my own or be with only one to two other people and just do our own thing is an incredible task nonetheless, yeah. but with, with not that much experience from shipping, uh, with a smaller team is, is definitely a little bit, uh, nerve wracking if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the timeline makes a lot of sense when you kind of step back and look at it. I think, um, you know, Tam and Danny and Chris, Sort of being the original founders, um, Tam representing the engineering and business side, Danny representing the design, and then Chris representing the art side. Um, they all together have a ton of experience, and um, you know they're very senior. And Tam has started multiple companies um, in the past, and so he has um, you know business administration um, experience, um, and so. It was like, okay, so they left and did their thing. And we actually bumped into each other at E3 one time. Uh, we were showing Gambit, I think, for mm -hmm. Forsaken. I want to say it was like 2017. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, they were showing Moss, and we bumped into each other. And we're like, whoa, hey, like, what's going on? It's so cool to see you. <laughs> um, and then 
yeah, like it, it Polyarch popped into my head like right away when I when I realized that I was going to leave. And um, so I just talked to Tam and um, they were looking for environment artists at the time. So it happened to be a great time for both of us. And um, it, it, you know, the, we did a full loop, did the full interview process, of course, and just have to give everybody on the team a chance to, you know, give their input and um, to meet to meet me. So it's not like I, you know, got got to cut uh, you know the process <laughs> or anything like that. Um, no, but, but I'm sure those connections helped, right? They do because we right. work together. Like Danny and I have been in like so many multiplayer play tests at um, Bungie together. Like we were practically, you know, on the same team. I mean, we kind of were um, sandbox right. and. I was working on the PVP maps um, at the time. And so, yeah, every day we were up in the lab and he was building the um, Arc Strider at the time. So he was building the um, uh, Arc Strider Super with the lightning staff. Um, so I remember when that was coming in, that was really, that was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so before we we dive into the actual game uh, for for this episode, I wanted to just ask uh, kind of a simple question, or maybe not. But mm-hmm. you know, what is what does your day to day look like uh, mm-hmm. working on this game? You know, what does an environment artist really do? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, we just did a Twitch stream where mm-hmm. I streamed for two hours, just kind of working on one of the moss rooms. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And it's, it was really cool to be able to stream working on a game that doesn't even have a, a ship date yet. Um, <laughs> and it was pretty much just to show off the process. Um, right. And so, you know, I kind of, we have a lot of meetings in the morning. We typically uh, front load all of our rituals and sort of more of the like routine um, in the morning. You know, everybody's waking up, kind of chatting about what's going to happen that day. Um, and then we go off and break off into our, um, you know, our, our own things. And either we are, um, you know, working on working out of JIRA, working on tasks or, um, you know, having conversations about what's ready for, for art to hit. Um, like currently our art director is on vacation. And so right before he left, we had kind of a download of the next area that we're going to start finishing and, Mm -hmm. And so just kind of building alignment that's happened, that's happening constantly, right? Like just double checking and saying like, Hey, I, I, did that, did that go anywhere? That, that conversation we had. And um, when the team is like 35 people, it's and, and not even the full, you know, 35 people are all working on Moss book too. Um, right. It's, it's, um, it's a manageable size where, you know, sometimes things can kind of get away from you, but um, you know, we found that it's it's at least from my perspective. I'm sure the directors will have their own. Uh, yeah, thoughts. yeah, of course. But um, from from my point of view, um, things things seem to be covered pretty well, and so um, yeah. And and then we play test twice a week in the studio, um, and so we try to have externals play test as much as possible right now because we are kind of trying to close the game and finish it. Mm-hmm. But we need to have that um, exposure to like, just well, it, we need to find those blind spots, right? Just like um, right. test all those assumptions and just make sure that you know uh, players aren't getting caught up on on stuff that isn't important, um, yeah, and bugs and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, sounds pretty pretty normal. I I like the idea of humanizing this. When people talk about making games, you kind of mm. if you're not part of that industry or you don't really know what goes into it, you kind of yeah. just think that everyone codes, right? <laughs> right. Or that yeah. or that every everything just kind of happens. It's interesting mm-hmm. hearing that you're using these process tools like Jira and things that a lot of people from a business perspective, like if you're in corporate America or wherever you are, um, you probably know of these tools. And it's one of those things hearing it where I'm like, oh man, I can't believe boring old me also uses <laughs> possibly the same tools as all these cool developers. You know, it's like, Heck it's... Yeah. it's <laughs> Which also probably means there's a lot of boring parts to uh, game development as well. <laughs> there are there are certainly um, moments that aren't as exciting, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean the tools are good, right? Like collaboration and, and communication, and oh, you need um, it, you need delegation, it. right? Like delegating yeah. tasks, even that takes a lot of effort. Of course, especially. I mean, I think it's you know when you think of like an indie team, there's mm-hmm. this there's a definitely a disparity like the word the term indie has kind of gotten blown up out of proportion and there's oh, there's you know the idea of i'm a, a one person team i'm a three person team and that's kind of where people think of indie where it's like mm-hmm. oh just you do everything and and it, things just happen right? right but especially you get into these these indie teams that are more of a larger scale which i would equate to yours which has you know a good amount of people mm-hmm it's so hard when everyone has their own task or their own piece of the pie that they have to work on to make sure that that pie fits together at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Mm -hmm. It's, it really is. I mean, we have a business team, we have a, um, you know, a CFO, um, we've got, you know, Tam, you know, pinch hits as, uh, you know, a writer and a CEO (laughs) and and Shauna, our HR director does the same. She's, you know, she's writing dialogue. She's in the editor and like working with um, our designers daily. And, and, and so um, it really is, but, but there's still, you know, a ton of other work that she has to do to to run the business. Um, And so I think maybe we're getting to a point now where it is the company's big enough um, to where, you know, I could see us hiring a business administrator, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think you know, we're, you know, we get a lot of outside funding, right? Like um, I think that's kind of a, a, another distinguishing factor. Like we're, we've got a publisher, you know, we've got, mm-hmm. we've got a marketing and PR and communications director. Um, and so we still kind of operate like a traditional, like not like a you know, publisher owned or, you know, platform owner, whole, uh, you know, like Sony or Microsoft, all those studios, like we operate right. in a very similar way mm-hmm. um, to, to all of those studios. And so just the, the, the nice thing that I think we, the, the freedom that we enjoy at Polyarch is, um, is that we can make decisions on our terms, um, right. which is really important to Tam and the business people. And I think everybody um, here, like we, we want to be very connected to our, our craft and our products. Um, right. We we get the most, I think, satisfaction from really pouring ourselves into this experience, and then and then sharing it with others, and then seeing you know the reactions of people. And um, you know, I I've, I've witnessed it myself. You know, when people would play Moss and and just melt down and and just completely fall in love with Quill. And um, <laughs> so I I believe in that so much that it's like yeah. yes, like this is um, you know. 
Polyarch has a vision. Um, you know, we've, we've got a vision for, for what Moss and for what VR and, and gaming in this new media can be. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're trying to, to take that vision and, and make it a reality. Yeah. And honestly, that's what I attribute to indie. The mm-hmm. definition of indie has become so hard to really pinpoint. And I feel like it's more of a feeling mm-hmm. than it is a real definition. But I usually Absolutely. pinpoint it to you're an indie team if you're able to make those decisions that matter to mm-hmm. produce a vision and a passionate project that is not burdened by the you know, the, the normal qualms of like, sure. is it going to make the most money or is it the most lucrative to a wider audience rather than telling the story that mm-hmm. those developers or those individual creatives want to tell. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, which, which I'm, I'm super excited about. And I love hearing, especially because mm-hmm. it makes it seem like Moss 2 won't be compromised in any way in a, yeah. in, you know, a different fashion than what Moss 1 was, which had sure. a lot of wide success. Um, but that being said, I think this is probably a good time for us to transition and, and talk about the game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people do know what Moss is, but for those who, mm-hmm. who might not have heard anything about the series, mm-hmm. how, give me like your, your elevator pitch or just your, what makes Moss special? You talked about people breaking down and, and falling in love with that main character. You know, what, mm-hmm. what is this game and what does make it special? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I'm trying to think back to when I first was hearing about Moss, and it is a little confusing, right? Like, <laughs> it's hard to close your eyes and, and like, it was it was hard to imagine what it was. Um, but I'll do my best. Um, okay. So, uh, in in the game of Moss, you play as a reader, and as the reader, you are in a, a magic library with all of these books in it. And when you open the book, uh, you're transported into the world. And the, the book that you're reading is all about Quill, who is a um, small mouse who lives in the clearing in a magic forest in this, you know, magic fairy tale land with, um, you know, sprites and other animals and, um, you know, magic and enemies and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and because you are uh, a reader and you're, and you're not the main character Quill, um, you're observing her and you're helping her and you still control her as a character, like in a traditional game. Um, but she, you know, she has her own thoughts. She has her own feelings um, and she expresses them to you. And, um, and you go on this journey together and she will help you with puzzles and um, you'll defeat enemies along the way. And the whole, the whole premise of the story is that um, Quill goes for a walk one day and finds a magic piece of glass. And that magic piece of glass enables her to see you. And now she's the only one that can see you. And um, shortly after that, her uncle disappears. And so you help her on a journey to go find her uncle. And that ultimately leads you to the, um, the a castle that was that has long been um, abandoned. And um, inside that castle, you'll take on the serpent Far- Sarfog, who is a... Um, uh, arcane enemy that has, um, you know, all of these enemies that are um, sort of taking over the land of Moth, and that will be your main antagonist um, throughout the game. But anyways, I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> but um, No, no, no. I mean, I, I like the cliff notes because this is basically okay. like for those who haven't played the first one, that's basically where you get to now this, mm-hmm. this second book, right? 
Correct. Yeah. That that is that intro to if you haven't played the first one, which you should, that's yeah. what you're gonna get. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And then now we have this second story, which I think, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I, I love and I want to talk about. But one of my first things that I thought about with this was at the end of the, the, the game, you have to the nature of giving that, hey, there's more coming. There's like, you'll find out more in the next chapter kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I thought interesting was it kind of could have been its own self-contained thing. It could have wrapped up there. Moss could have been hmm. over, right? Mm -hmm. What what was it, uh, especially, you know, you joined afterwards, but I, I'm sure there's mm -hmm. some of that discussion on like, what was it that made the team kind of distinguish this as something that needed to be more of a series, right? Mm -hmm. I think probably, um, I mean, the most, thing, the, the biggest thing is just the realities of, the business, which was time <laughs> and money. Um, yeah. So interesting, an interesting fact about Moss One, and I guess Moss Book Two is that um, the the story of Book Two is actually the full script for the first game. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, and pretty early on they realized, like, uh oh, <laughs> um, this game is huge. We <laughs> can't make all of this, so we need right. to find the best part the best point at which we can um you know put in put in a like stay tuned and um you know let's let's wrap this up <laughs> uh another time um and i think at that point it was you know kind of a risky move right because um they didn't know if the game was going to be a hit they were right. they were still um you know out there trying to make make this thing happen and so right, um, right. that story could have been lost at, at this point, because yep. <laughs> if it didn't become a hit, then you would have just been like, well, half a story was put out and that's all. And now we have to, you know, find something else to do that might be lucrative. <laughs> totally, totally. Someone would have to, uh, to dig up the, uh, <laughs> the rights for it, like 20 years from now or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's true. And so, um, but, um, thankfully the game was a success and, um, it, it people were, were craving more and people were craving for a, a longer experience as well. And that right, happened right. To, to kind of play in nicely with, okay, like, wow, now Polyarch has years where they had months and now we have, you know, you know, a team of people where we had half of a person. Um, and so it's, um, the game's definitely bigger. <laughs> the game is definitely okay. bigger. Yeah, that's, um, that's that was going to be one of my questions because there was a lot of concern or not really concern, but a little bit of criticism around the length of this game. Mm -hmm. Since this was that original script that got kind of cut down into possibly two pieces or, you know, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. is this going to be a kind of uh, fill that void that some of those criticisms uh, pointed out to. What are we thinking from, and, and don't give like obviously a specific number, but is this going right. to be a much longer game in comparison? Well, certainly that's the hope. Um, I think, you know, we would love to make as long of a game as possible, really. I mean, the, to, a, to a degree, like I right. think ideally you don't want the like length of the game to really be a constraint. Like you want to like imagine what the what the what's the best game and what's the best story and then let's tell that and you know if it's too long okay we'll like you know trim it down but you know it sucks to like be like man like we want to tell this whole story but we just can't we just don't have the resources right and having to chop it up afterwards is is much more painful and and not as 
it's not as preferable, I guess. No, I, I understand that because it's, it's an interesting concern. It feels very much the, you know, live to be, uh, live to be the villain, die the hero mm-hmm. the kind of, uh, catchphrase <laughs> that I always forget mm-hmm. exactly the words to, and yet I always try to bring it up, but it's basically, exactly. uh, yeah, it's basically the idea, right? That maybe a reason why people loved it so much was because it was a shorter experience because they Mm -hmm. gave them that feeling of wanting more, right? They still craved more of it as opposed to if it was too long, they might've said this game is good, but it gets boring because it's, you know, it's drawn out too long, right? Whereas this way it it changes that narrative to be like, Oh, here's a little Mm -hmm. piece of it. Are you interested? Wait for book two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. That is a, that's a great observation. Um, it's uh, it's scary to think about, you know, uh, because you know you're, yeah, you're right. You you could potentially be missing something, um, right? And sometimes you miss something big like that. Um, but when when we when we've kind of looked at all of the data and we've looked at so many of the reviews, like it's to a point where we just know that um, in general, uh, a longer game would have please more people. And it's mm. not that they would have wanted the same amount of content stretched out over a longer period of time. I think they just wanted more Moss content. Uh, mm. They wanted more rooms, more puzzles with Quill, more reactions from Quill, more book um, sequences, more music, more bosses, more enemies. Um, and and they want that to be paced well, right? Like pacing is especially in the story game in a, in a single player game, pacing is everything. If you don't have your pacing, right. That's, that's the um, thing you're talking about, right? It's the players like, yeah, cool game looks cute and nice, nice graphics. But like, man, like I don't want to kill bugs for 30 minutes. Like that's, (laughs) (laughs) That's I'm going to go do something else. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So what is, what is the team doing then in that consideration? Because I'm sure this is, is a hot topic amongst all of you. Mm-hmm. What is the team doing to keep that pacing in mind, right? Yeah, this is great. I'm so glad you asked this question because I literally was just talking to a friend of mine and uh, he's actually my mentor at Bungie. He's working on an indie game called Binary Smoke. And um, it was, they showed it off at the Epic Indie Showcase, I think. I want to say it was last year. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely check it out. But we were literally just talking about this. And um, so, uh, over the course of Moss's Moss Book Two, um, the designers built a bunch of mechanics, and we have new weapons, we have new devices, we have new enemies, and as we were building all of that stuff, um, we don't really know what how to pace things, right? right. Um, like we, it, that's really not what we're thinking about. We're thinking about like how can we make this device really fun? Like how can we make this enemy really fun? Like what's a good level design for this enemy type that this new enemy type that we just created? Um, and so we spent a lot of time focusing on that. And then we kind of, we did our, we get some designs that we like that play test well, we polish those up. And so, and then we kind of have the, the gameplay content that we need. Um, but then, uh, what we noticed was we did a full playable, um, not too long ago and maybe like the beginning of the year where we took everything and we like took all the little pieces that we kind of had been working on or noodling on in isolation or whatever. And, because we kind of recognized like, wow, we haven't played start to finish yet. And so we took everything right. and we just smashed it into one big kind of buggy mess. And <laughs> the whole team stopped and played it and we gave feedback. And, and that kind of 
then we then we mapped it. So we, we put all that together and then we mapped out um, like just like a timeline, right? Like we mapped out like where are all of our beats and, and what are they and how are, how are we using all of the mechanics and whatnot. And it was a little painful because um, we found, you know, obviously pivots that we wanted to make. Um, right. We saw like, hey, like oh, we're not using this mechanic uh, in this chapter at all. It's like it, we use it over here, but then like you go a chapter and you don't see it at all, and then we use it over here. That's kind of weird. Like it doesn't feel right. Like let's work on that. Um, and so oh. we kind of like it's like we kind of like shook everything up and like it settled, right? And it mm -hmm. settled into a better place and had more of a flow to it. And that's all a high level design uh, task that the design leads and all of the designers work on together to um, kind of like review, pro uh, propose, um, and then sort of like d divvy up the work to say like, okay, all right, I'll own this area and I'll make the changes here and then we'll play test it. Well, you're doing that over there. And so we kind of did that. We, we just did that whole process a couple months ago and um, it's been great. And now we're, and now we're in the process of play testing all of that and we're adding all of the player objective stuff so like we're writing, you know, VO lines, we're writing narrator lines, we're writing, you know, uh, prompts and stuff that um, tell the player what they're doing, remind them, hey, like, you know, it's just it's all the player objective design work that needs to go in to just keep the player on track. Right, um, right. And you really only want to do that when you've got your flow pinned down, like um, huh. it's kind of like a, a final step that you want to you want to do because um if you if you need to change something, then you're you're, you're going back to writing again, and going uh, back to writing happens. Yeah. But like you really don't want to send things back up. Like once things come down from from writing and from audio, um, you know, it, it you want to as much as possible have that stuff be final. Um, huh. That's uh, honestly this is fascinating because <laughs> cool. I've I've never really thought about the the you know incremental steps that mm -hmm. go into this and how it becomes uh, mm -hmm. almost like it's, it's a blend of agile and waterfall practices because of the fact that there's just so many pieces that go into it. And I never really, mm -hmm. you know, when I think of it, I would, I would assume that those pieces would all get kind of more or less finished and be bite-sized chunks that are like, Oh, everything is literally done in this. And then you slap it together, but you're a hundred percent right that it wouldn't make sense to do it that way because mm -hmm. of the fact that you might find something to the nature of, Oh, we're not using this mechanic. We need to totally change this up because mm -hmm. you know, this, this piece by itself might feel nice, but once you mash it together, it doesn't totally. make sense. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that is true for, pretty much everything in the game from the environment art to the, you know, to the narration, to the, um, you know, it, it, it's, if you're not consistent from going from one space to the next, um, it's really jarring and we want to make sure that it's smooth and makes sense. And, you know, is, it doesn't do anything to take the player out of the immersion. Right. 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 Now you touched upon a point that I wanted to bring up because you had said, that you were adding these new weapons and these new mm -hmm. mechanics and and trying to improve right it's it's a new mm -hmm. game it's it's the continuation you want to make it an improvement what are some of those things from a mechanical side or inside the game mm -hmm. that the the players will really notice going from one to two that mm -hmm. in your mind is that like 
this is the the game seller, right? Like these are the yeah. things that are super cool. These are the selling points that people should know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think so. Uh, we did show a few of these new things in the um, announcement trailer, mm -hmm. uh, which I'll just go ahead and plug that. It's really cool. You should totally watch it if you haven't watched <laughs> it already. It's uh, you can find it on our YouTube, and I think you can find it on Sony's YouTube as well. Um, but we we have a hammer. Cool, is going to get a hammer, and that is just like it's just dumb fun, right? You're just smashing <laughs> everything. Um, and we've also built some puzzles with the hammer that are pretty cool. So um, in the first game, um, you know, Cool had the sword, the sprite sword that was gifted to her by the sprites. Um, since um, oh, I guess I'll save the spoilers, but uh, yeah, Cool gets a sword, a magic leaf sword, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's the only weapon you have in Moss 1 until Twilight Garden, which was the DLC that came out for the Oculus release. Um, you get the saber, and the saber uh, it allows you to charge it. It has this sort of like uh, additional layer to it. So um, when you press and hold attack, uh, Quill raises the saber up in the air, and you reach into the world and boop her with the trigger. And you kind of charge it up with magic, and then when you attack next, it's a projectile. And so we were taking that philosophy of charging weapons and we are bringing that to all of the weapons that we are going to ship in the game and there's um nice. there's other weapons that were not shown in the um in the trailer of course um so that is really cool and i think players are going to really love like it kind of expands the possibility space of what we're able to do in the level and um fun little tricks to make the puzzles uh more intriguing and difficult um, hopefully not too difficult, but uh, <laughs> you'll, you will have to, you know, think about like positioning and charging your weapon and, um, you know, moving around the room a lot and sort of using this as a way to uh, influence the room in, in more than just reaching in and grabbing something. Um, gotcha. And so, gotcha. Yeah. Would you and say that this, this has more of an emphasis on combat than the first one did then? I think it's about the same. Okay. I, I think that we, um, you know, we, we got some feedback from, from people who liked the game but found the combat difficult. And I think um, we don't want combat to be trivial, but mm -hmm. um, we don't want it to be a barrier um, to, to, to entry, right? I think it's like yeah, an yeah. accessibility thing. Um, if the combat's too difficult, it, the game becomes less accessible. And we just have to ask ourselves, like, is that really what we want? And and for this game, for Moss, no, we want we want you to build your relationship with Quill and we want to take you on this journey. And we want you to feel like there's real tension in the world. And so that we accomplish that with combat. And, you know, as gamers, we love the, you know, like Danny, like he's a sandbox designer and he, he built, you know, some of the best sandbox abilities in Destiny. And so like he knows controller feel. And, mm -hmm. and so when you're, you know, when you're, you know, fighting with Quill and you're dashing and dodging and, and, and using different weapons and such, like that's, um, that's the kind of legacy that we bring because we, we still love those experiences, but we don't necessarily want to center them as the most important part of the experience. Gotcha. Gotcha. However, personally, I will say <laughs> I would love to do that at some point with, um, with a VR game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it definitely has its place, right? I can see this being an interesting uh -huh. game where if it was more focused around combat, there could be some ingenuity and creativity around the fact that you can literally stand up and kind of 
look at the map at all angles and see where certain attacks might be coming from. I'm sure there's different things that you could do from a VR perspective that you can't with just a normal, you know, flat 2d screen. Yeah, definitely. Like the, the, the possibilities, like the, the designs that are out there that we just haven't found yet are it's crazy. Like there's going to be, I really do think there will be an explosion of VR games once, people realize that it's you can make money on it and it's uh it already is kind of saturated right but like um way less saturated than you know the steam indie page right like for sure yeah holy cow it's a lot (laughs) of work to get noticed right (laughs) so if you can if you can save yourself some of that labor of like marketing and just pick vr instead and say hey like i'm gonna just go ahead and and make this concession but um you know i'm gonna be in a smaller pool but I'll be a bigger fish maybe. So for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, you mentioned the fact that you didn't want combat to be too difficult or too mm-hmm. trivial, right? You're you're mm-hmm. trying to to find that balance. Was there any discussion among the team of saying why don't we create difficulty levels? Interesting. Um you know that has not come up a whole lot and I think that's because we don't we're not we're not passionate about building a difficult combat mm-hmm. experience um, right. yeah i think i think we um we would probably need um we need a good reason to do it i think um right right and i don't i don't know what that reason would be because it would be expensive is what i is the first thing that i think of is like <laughs> the dollars of um having a designer you know to to make all of those encounters over again with different enemies or, you know, to tune it with different values and then to test it all. um, That will be uh, not a, I mean, it would be a significant amount of work, not, not something that we wouldn't ever do, but um, that's something that is initially scoped for. Exactly. Exactly. We would scope that in the beginning. We would be like, okay, we're going to have multiple difficulty levels. So that means we need to run, you know, multiple test passes and, uh, so on and so forth. Right, right. No, that that totally makes sense. Now, mm-hmm. I, I love the idea because hearing you talk, you are obviously very passionate about the world mm-hmm. of VR and mm-hmm. what it is capable of. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very much ignorant to the world of VR. I know yeah. some things about it, but I don't have my own set. I wish I did. It's one of the things that eventually mm-hmm. I will have to get, and I'm super mm-hmm. excited for whenever I do. <laughs> totally. But, but one of the things that interests me is, you know, there's been some time in between uh, Moss 1 and now Moss 2 coming out. And uh, me being, you know, an ignorant person in the space of VR, are there any, we talked about abilities and enhancements from a, a gameplay perspective. Are there any enhancements mm-hmm. or things that have changed from a VR perspective when it comes to Moss 1 and Moss 2? Um. Well, no, actually. <laughs> That's... <laughs> The uh, the easy simple answer uh, because we're shipping on PlayStation VR, um, which is uh, I think one of the oldest consumer VR headsets in the market, um, which also means that it is I think it still is the number one. Um, I think Sony has sold more headsets than anyone else at this point. Wow. Still, okay. I, it's very fastly, uh, very fastly, very quickly being eclipsed by uh, Facebook and Oculus. Um, right, right. I'm sure. And I think when you look at active users, um, the PSVR is like very low. 
Like there's just not a lot of people playing PSVR right now. And that's just because the headset's, I think four years old at this point. Um, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were playing on the PSVR here in the studio because, um, you know, we, we're going to make sure that that's an incredible experience. Um, we got to, we got to be playing on the target hardware. Um, right, of course. Yeah. And it's still a great experience. Like playing Moss on the PSVR is still a joy. Like the, the headset is still super comfortable. Um, you know, I still like using the DualShock. I still enjoy the sort of um, seated gameplay style. Um, <laughs> right, and, right. Yeah, and I think the, the the core design of Moss is like totally, totally transfers, right? Like, you know, it's we've we've gone from the DualShock controller, which is, you know, you're literally, you know, you've got both hands on the DualShock 4, and when you're reaching into the world, you're reaching into the world with both hands. Versus the Oculus version, you've got the touch controllers and you can reach in independently of each other. So um, in, in Moss on PSVR, there's actually only one spirit hand. And on, you know, in the Oculus version, there's two. Um, in the PSVR, um, the next gen, um, they posted some photos and they have a similar, um, they're going to be going with the touch controller style for their next headset. So, they're, so like, that's one thing that has kind of evolved and Sony's getting on board with that. Right. And that's awesome to hear. But that brings up my next question, which is really around, it's awesome that you're, you have one platform to really hone in on and make sure mm -hmm. that it works to that, you know, that one and, and make sure that when people get that, that experience is going to be exactly the way that you're really envisioning. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, Moss One was also ported to uh, other areas, other places that you could play the game. Is that uh, at all on your radar, you know, down the road? Oh, we want as many people to play it as quickly as possible um, and just get it ready for everybody to, to experience. I think, um, you know, Sony understands that we, you know, really have relied on Oculus and other um, headset manufacturers for revenue. Um, you know, they, you know, it, the, it's a very candid thing, you know, it's, this is just the, the reality of VR right now and being a VR developer is, um, the, the market's so small that, um, to really be profitable, it's in our best interest to, to get the game out, um, on all platforms. And, and so they're interested in our best interest as well. So, um, that's been pretty cool. Um, so they're, yeah, they're, they're on board with us, you know, bringing it to other platforms as soon as we can. Um, and we will have, we'll have news on that soon. Um, hopefully, um, you know, not too long before we'll have an announcement date. I look forward to it. <laughs> now I have, uh, one or two last questions to ask, but my, the first one I want to go into, I'm not sure if you can answer this one, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super into the idea of just Moss being about, uh, you reading a book technically? Uh huh. Yeah. The, the concept of it works so perfectly from yeah. the side of it being VR and it being mm -hmm. you looking into the world, right? Mm -hmm. What What was that that inspiration, or why was it uh, books at all? You know, I don't think I can answer that one. I think you'd have to ask, um, you know, Corinne and Chris in the original Moss art team. Um, but I will say I 100% agree with you. Like, it's such a cool premise to be in a library with a magic book and then to go into the book. And I'll tell you that that is something that we've, you know, 
we've recognized and that we are delighted by as well. And we've, we have some fun surprises in store for the player in book two. Um, so, uh, that yeah, is, if you enjoyed that part of the game, be prepared to enjoy it again. <laughs> that, is, yeah, that is very exciting because I, yeah. I think, you know, and granted it's, it's a shame, but I'm, I'm glad that that kind of enthusiasm resonates elsewhere yeah. because it's such a good design principle when it comes to you being able to explain why you're able to kind of look around and and mm-hmm. be this ominous figure whereas most games just kind of have you as just you're there you're looking in but there's no explanation to it right it's right. that break of the fourth wall whereas the mm-hmm. alternative could have been it, it could have been just a much more vr type game where you are moss like like you are right. you are quill right not right. Moss, but you are quill just walking mm-hmm. around and and doing more of a, a like first person platforming type experience right yeah yeah i think uh i i agree 100 percent. i think that was one of the, the things that that definitely they got right um it's uh and i don't think i don't think it, it you know, it, it's entirely like it's it's because of VR, right? It's it's like a, it's a solution to a problem in VR. Um, and I was talking to uh, Peter, who's our finance guy, and I was like, "What is Polyarch? Is Polyarch a game company? Are we a VR game company?" And he's <laughs> like, "No, we're an IP company." And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." And I think that he's right in that, um, like, the intellectual property of Moss and the game designs that are in it. And the, the story and the narration of it is just, it's all connected and it's all part of the Moth game. And, right. um, and so that is, and that's our IP that we own. Um, and I think that's, that's really, and that kind of goes back to the indie thing, right? It's like, um, we want to, mm-hmm. we want to have ownership of that um, because we don't want to make compromises to people who aren't game developers. Um, and so, yeah. That's that's really kind of where we draw the line, and of course we have, and, and there's compromises everywhere, right? Like we'll still have to make compromises with our business partners, and there's always compromises with you know publishers and everything. Like, you know, I, even even the the best deals, you know, there's always there's always compromises. Um, of you know, course, just business. You know, you try to get more than you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's how it goes. I get it. That mm-hmm. I mean, I I hear you. Uh, unfortunately you're never going to have a world where, uh, you can just hundred percent do what you want to do. Cause yep. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not the way the world, the world works, but yeah. that's okay. Cause it sounds like you're in a great position with great people that are yeah. on board with Thank your you. vision. And that's, what's important right now. 100%. Um, my, uh, one of my last questions that I wanted to talk about, which I meant to ask at the start of this, but I got so wrapped up in in other things but really it, it's the idea of this being a continuation right this is book mm-hmm. two does this pick up and start right where you left off from one exactly where you left off gotcha like and the foot the foot the, the place where quill is standing <laughs> oh wow that's awesome yeah. Yeah. all right so you could literally if you haven't played this one once two comes out you can literally play them back to back and be like oh it's just yeah. starting right off of Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I hope that people do because that is, you know, that's the Moth vision um, that was originally, um, this, this was the first Moth game that was, um, you know, imagined. And so it's, it's, it'll be very cool to, and I'll probably do it myself, you know, to just 
sit down and, and, and play the full game on a, on a PSVR headset, you know, at home on your couch, like, that's going to be great. <laughs> right. And for all those people who, who said, Oh, it was, it was a shorter experience. I wanted more Then it mm-hmm. makes it even easier for you to be like, Oh, just replay the first one. You know, if it's that short sure. of an experience, it won't take that long. And then you could just continue through and get the full story. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I want to wrap this up with the mm-hmm. last final question that we always love to ask on this show, which is mm-hmm. really some advice. Uh, I love hearing advice from people who have all different kinds of walks of life and different places in the industry, right? Um, For those who want to be in that indie space or want to Mm -hmm. be, you know, maybe an environment artist or Mm -hmm. do whatever it is in in this kind of space, what's some advice uh, that you would possibly give, you know, uh, previous you or younger Mm -hmm. you if if you could? I think I would... I would definitely advise myself to um, just get good at learning new skills online. Um, That is, I think, the number one um, ticket to success in video games. And and I think any any video game development career, it's kind of the same. Like, um, you know, Brendan Walker, he's one of our engineers. He sits right next to me and he jokes about how he being a good engineer is actually just knowing how to use Stack Overflow, which is a website for basically like, it's kind of like Reddit where people ask questions and then yep. answers are upvoted and downvoted. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a lot of, um, yeah, you, 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 you need to take in information and knowledge from, from the internet and, you know, digest it and then use that to, um, you know, do something new or, or learn something new and to solve a new challenge, to solve a new problem. And if you can get if you can get comfortable with being um, pushed, and if you can be comfortable um, growing, and and growth is hard. Growth is really hard. Like um, <laughs> there's like when I, I worked on a character recently, and I was getting frustrated on it because you know it's I wasn't used to struggling. I, you know, I had my comfort zone in environments, and you know I was using a new program that, um, you know, I hadn't used before and I was just not able to accomplish what I was trying to accomplish. And, um, that happens to everybody all the time. Right. Like that happened. I mean, it literally just happened to me and I've been in the industry for 10 years. And, um, I think, you know, when you're in those moments, um, it's, it's, how do you, how do you cope with it? And, um, what do you do when you're feeling discouraged? Um, and for me, I, I love um, just hitting people up, asking for feedback, asking for advice, asking for someone to look at something. Um, you know, that's like usually I just need advice. I need some help. And, or, and, and sometimes it's done and I just don't know it yet. And, um, <laughs> and I've been noodling on a detail that actually doesn't matter. And so um, getting right. the outside perspective helps a lot, too. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That's great advice. For those listening, Moss Book 2 is currently in development. Keep an eye on their Twitter page, at Polyarch Games, for any sneak peeks, updates. Uh, Once again, Kuli, thank you so much for joining today. Of course. Thank you for having me on, Joshua. It was a pleasure.